Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John and your New Testament. We're going to be studying uh, really through the spring, uh, through the winter, through the spring, possibly into the summer. We're going to be doing a series in the Gospel of John, and we're going to start in John chapter 1, of course. Uh, And I love the Gospel of John for lots of reasons, because it's different than the other Gospels. Uh, But it's very unique in its perspective because it's written uh, by one of Jesus' best friends. Remember, John is the disciple that we'll learn later who lay his head on Jesus' side. So he's one of Jesus' closest friends. And he tells us very clearly in John chapter 20, verse 21, the purpose of writing the gospel. He tells us why he's writing. And he says this, I am writing this book so that we may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by believing in him, we may have life in his name. And so what that means is that every passage that John writes, every week as we open up this book, he has included it for us so that we might see Jesus and trust in him and believe in him, and so that we might find life in his name. So every week, in some way, shape, or form, we're going to be asking those two questions. Who is Jesus, and how can we find life in his name? Where is the life in the passage that we will be studying? You know, one of the things that we hope for in our church and that we pray is that this would be a safe place for people who aren't doing it right. For people maybe that are not so sure what they think about Christianity or maybe struggle with uh, what they think about Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and maybe you're skeptical of Christianity, welcome. We are really glad that you're here with us this morning. The gospel of John is for you. If you're here this morning and you're skeptical or maybe, maybe have a jaded view of Jesus and Christianity... The Gospel of John um, is written in such a way that you can have little or no knowledge at all of Jesus or Christianity and you can totally understand in a very real way the glorious message of this book. Because you see, this book is an invitation for you. It's an invitation for you to come, and I hope you'll come Sunday after Sunday. And as as John puts Jesus before us, you'll get to decide whether or not you should write him off. Because this book forces you to deal with Jesus. And so my prayer for you is that you would come, and you would come throughout this series, and you would deal with Jesus, and that you would believe in him and find life in his name. But maybe you're here this morning, you see, and you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember. You don't even remember when you became a Christian. Well, the Gospel of John is for you as well. Because you see, it's simple uh, and easy to understand, yet at the very same time, it has depth and complexity to it. We could literally spend the next two or three years studying this book and, friends, not even come close to touching the bottom. And so my prayer for you is that you would come and that as John puts Jesus before us every week, that Jesus would come become more beautiful to you. That instead of leading to you to a boring yawn, 
instead of being dry and stale, that Jesus would become more beautiful and real and life-giving in your life. The passage that we're about to look at this morning, it's really amazing. It's one of, not that one passage is more inspired than the others in the Bible, but friends, you'll see what I mean as we read it. It is one of the most amazing passages in Scripture about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love one commentator. He writes this, as John begins his introduction, the force of what he says is so staggering that the words almost seem to bend under the weight they were made to bear. So with that in mind, follow along with me as I read this amazing passage. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, this is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we need your help this morning with this amazing passage. It's almost too much for us to get our minds around in a quick um, amount of time. And so we need your help. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and challenge and convict us? Would you make this passage clear to us? Would you apply this passage to our hearts so uh, that it will impact the way we live as we leave here this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever heard of Banksy? Anybody heard of Banksy? No one. (laughs) He's uh, a couple people. Uh, He's the most famous street artist in the world. Uh, He keeps his identity hidden, and he shows up in random cities at random times, and he'll throw some amazing artwork up on the side of a building, or he'll he'll put this very intricate sculpture in the middle of an intersection randomly um, just to let people know that he was there. 
He also, from time to time, his artwork will sell at art shows, and it goes for thousands and thousands of dollars. So he decided a couple of years ago to do an experiment in New York City in Central Park. He decides to set up a booth and sell his art. And the BBC reported that the art that he was selling, one canvas alone, and he had several of these canvases that he was selling, one canvas alone was worth $32,000. Banksy that morning and afternoon in Central Park was selling the artwork for $60. At the end of the day, he had only managed to sell one piece of art for $60. You see, hundreds of people, perhaps even thousands of people, were walking through Central Park and walked right by some of the most valuable artwork that they would ever encounter in their life. And they totally missed it. Friends, this morning, in this passage, John puts before us someone far more magnificent, far more valuable than a piece of artwork. You see, he puts before us Jesus. And you see, my hope and prayer for us this morning, whether you're new to this stuff or whether you've heard this passage a hundred times, my prayer is that we wouldn't miss Jesus. That we instead would be captivated with him and changed. You see, this passage, the main thrust of it is the greatness of Jesus. There are two errors that were prevalent during the time that John was writing, and one was this. People were walking around believing Jesus was God, but he was not human. There were also another error of people were promoting that, yeah, he's human, he's a great teacher, but he is not God. John is writing to correct these errors, and he starts right off the bat with correcting them by showing us the greatness of Jesus. And he shows us two things about Jesus in this passage, if you're a note taker. The first point is that Jesus is God. Secondly, he shows us that Jesus is a person. He's human. Before we actually dig in, uh, let me just say this. I had a seminary professor, I think you probably know. Uh, He's been here before, I think, Richard Pratt. And he used to always say, which I think this is a good rule of thumb for really any preaching that you will do, but particularly for a passage like this. He used to say, you can't say everything about anything, and if you try, you will say nothing. That's one of those passages. Please know that as we enter an amazing passage like this. You can't say everything. If you try, you end up saying nothing. And so with that in mind, two points this morning. Jesus is God. Jesus is human. So let's look at number one. Jesus is God. Look at verses one and two. Hang with me here because... Again, pretty amazing stuff. Look at verse 1. In the beginning, every Jewish person that is reading this would immediately hear that and think of what? Just like you would. All the way back. Go all the way back to the beginning, to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What is John doing? He's wanting us to see Jesus before anything existed. He's wanting us to know that there has never been a time that Jesus did not exist. Because you see, God's word in 
Genesis chapter 1 is the word in John chapter 1. In the strongest of terms, the text is saying that Jesus was the word that was active in creation, that he was with God, and he was God from the beginning. I know that's a, that's a lot to take in and get your mind around, but think about that just for a second. John is telling us that Jesus is God. And listen, it would be one thing if we were to read through the Gospels and Jesus didn't really have a real sense that that was, in fact, his identity. But he does. Because Jesus said he was God. And so John here identifies Jesus this way as being God because that's the way Jesus identifies himself. Jesus walked around claiming to be God. And here's what I want us to just think about this just for a second. The people who knew Jesus the best, his best friend in the world, John, was convinced that that was true. Why is that significant? Well, think about it this way. If you were to leave here this morning and go and you were starting to walk around claiming that you were God, If I walked home to Susie and my girls and I said, you know what, I'm him, I'm God. Who would be the first person to say you're crazy? Those closest to you, your best friends, your family. Why? Because they know you. Jesus claimed that he was God and his closest friends said, yes, I know him and it is true. He is who he says he is. And here's what you have to realize. That might sound incredibly arrogant to some of you this morning that Jesus would make that claim. But Jesus is the only religious leader to make that claim that he was God. And so if you're skeptical of Jesus this morning, you've got to deal with that. You can say Jesus was wrong. But you cannot say that Jesus was like everyone else just by the claims that he made of being God. C.S. Lewis, I love what Lewis says. You'll hear me talk about this a lot. He says that just based on what Jesus has said and the claims that he made in the Gospels, he's either of utmost importance in your life or he's of no importance. But one thing Jesus cannot be is of some importance. If you've actually read the Gospel story. And friends, that's exactly what you see in the Gospels. That's what we're going to see in the book of John. People either worshipped Jesus and loved him, or they hated him. No one just kind of shrugged him off. No one, and we'll see this week after week, nobody just kind of likes Jesus. Friends, they either wanted to kill him or crown him as king. Those are the only two rational responses to the claims that Jesus is making. And so you see what that means for you, don't you? See what that means for me. This is challenging. It makes absolutely no sense, just based on what Jesus is saying, for us to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, But yet, Monday through Friday, our lives have absolutely nothing to do with him. Some of you this morning, maybe you're cold or apathetic towards Jesus. 
Some of us this morning have no intention whatsoever of ever allowing Jesus to contradict any area of our life. Can you allow Jesus to contradict the way you think about your sexuality? Do you allow Jesus to contradict the way you think about your time or your money or your relationships? You see, there are places in our lives where we know that we are out of line with what Jesus would have for us. And oftentimes we simply say, yeah, but I don't really care. I'm going to do what I want to do and live the way I want to live. And what John is saying here and what Jesus is saying is I am God in the flesh and don't you see that that makes absolutely no sense? Friends, if Jesus, and I don't say this to make you feel guilty, I say this to make you curious. If Jesus is just of some importance to us, then we've missed something about the gospel. We've missed something about Jesus. Verse 3. He's the creator of all. If he's the creator of all things, that means he's also your creator. Here's why that matters. Think about it. Uh, Ann Wright, uh, one of my girls, got a camera for Christmas, a little video camera. Well, it didn't work right out of the box. So what do you do? You send it back to the people that made it. If you've got a car, car that's going, something's going wrong with it, you take it to Honda, Ford, Chevrolet. Why? Because they designed it. They know it. They made it. They created it. And so maybe you're thinking this morning, Jason, it sounds like then you're assuming that there's something about us that needs to be fixed. That there's something about us that's broken or something assuming that something's not right about us. That's exactly what I'm saying because that's exactly what the Bible teaches. And yes, that might be offensive this morning to some of you, but don't you know that deep down in your souls that something is not right in you and in the world Don't you know that things are not the way they're supposed to be? We know that instinctively inside our own hearts, but we deny it and we try to push it down and we try to pretend like it's not there. And we do it in all sorts of ways, don't we? We do it by trying to establish a record of righteousness on our own or trying to be more righteous than we really are. Why is there so much spin in our lives? Why are we constantly trying to shade the truth in order to make ourselves look better? Why are we always trying to manage people's perceptions of us? Why can't we be honest about our faults? Because deep down, you see, we know something is not right, and we try to compensate in all sorts of ways. You see, in one degree or another, we know that we need to be healed, don't we? We know that we need to be fixed. And so here's my question for you this morning, when you feel that in your soul, where do you go? Where do you turn? What can fix you? Well, we're in a new year, and so, man, we start looking at all sorts of things, don't we? I need a new diet. I need a new workout plan. I need a new Bible reading plan. I need to be more disciplined. Um, I need a a better self-help book. I need to get a handle on this. Are those things bad? No. But they can't fix you. Because you see, your creator 
Jesus, he's the only one that can fix you. That's why he came into the world. God took on flesh and came into the world in order to heal you and restore you. And the question is, how does that happen? Well, that leads to our next point. Jesus is a person. Jesus is human. And so John spends 13 verses really in laying out this amazing picture of Jesus as God so that we will really understand the weight of verse 14. Look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love Eugene Peterson here. He has a message uh, translation called The Message, which actually in this particular place gets at the sense of the original here, I think in a little bit better way. And listen to what he says. I love this. The Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Isn't that great? Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. Remember he says, God emptied himself, set aside his glory, took on flesh and came into the world. He became poor. And so here's what that means, that he accepted and endured everything that you and I endure throughout our life. He came in and accepted hardship and weakness and he was lonely And he had people mock him and say terrible things about him. He was misunderstood. He even died. A death on a cross. And according to Hebrews chapter 2, he's our high priest. And in Hebrews 2, it says he was made like us in every way. And if you keep reading, why was he made like us in every way? So that he could help us. You see what that means, don't you? See, the fact that God took on flesh, it means that Jesus goes right into your mess, whatever it is. And think about that. Some of you this morning don't believe that. Surely you look at the wreck of your life or the mess of your life and you think, surely God in his high and holy place is sitting sitting up there saying, get it together. Surely he turns away from me, you think. Surely he runs away when he sees your life. Friends, that's not the gospel. That's not the God of Christianity. The God of the Bible is not the kind of God that stands off at a distance looking down with condescension. Remember, the gospel's good news. And the good news is that God loved you so much that he actually took on flesh and got involved. Came down into the world and he gets in the mess with you. He doesn't stand on the outside looking in. But it also means something else, that because God took on flesh, it means that he's a comfort for you this morning in the midst of your suffering. Think about this, when you are suffering and going through something and you meet somebody, they come to see you and they've been through the exact same thing that you have. What does that do to you? It comforts you. Why? Because they get you. Friends, in the strongest of terms, the fact that God moved into our neighborhood means that God gets you. He gets what you're going through. He suffered in every way and has infinite power 
to really comfort you in the midst of your pain and suffering. He has been, and this is amazing, God has been to all the places that you have been. And so you can trust Him this morning with whatever it is that you're dealing with. Because He really does understand. Back in 1864, there was this priest by the name of Father Damien. And he went to Hawaii and he was actually there doing, being a missionary to a leper colony in Hawaii. He was there for 16 years. Uh, did ama- amazing work in 16 years. He learned their language Uh, He built schools for them. He organized choirs and uh, bands and taught them how to play instruments. Uh, He built homes for them in order to give them shelter. Uh, He even at one point built 2,000 coffins with his own hands so that these lepers could actually be buried with dignity. And, and, And over time, this place became known not as a place where you just simply go and die, It became known as a place where you truly live. See, Father Damien offered them hope. He also wasn't careful about keeping his distance. Uh, It was common that after the patients would be eating out of a bowl, he would take his finger and he would eat out of the same bowl. He would smoke a pipe after they had smoked smoked a pipe. Um, he, He would bandage their wounds and forget to wash his hands. And he preached to them every Sunday. And on this particular Sunday, the patients that loved him because he got so close to them. He stands up to deliver a sermon and he begins his sermon with these two words. We lepers. You see, he had become one of them. And now he would live the life that they lived. And he would die the death that they died. Because they were in it together. Friends, God took on flesh in the person of Jesus. And he began his deliverance in a sense. Jesus says, we lepers. You see, Jesus comes and he gives up everything so that he could be near to us. He did not stand off hoping that we would get a little bit better but he came into our mess and became one of us. He was in our skin. You see, we're entering a new season, the season of ministry. If this is your first time to faith, it's my first time to faith, so I'm glad you're here. But we're entering a new chapter of ministry. Saying goodbye to a pastor that has been here for 30 years. And it can also be a very exciting time. It's going to be a time when we are going to have lots of things along the way that are going to tempt and try to distract us. Friends, what we need is not some great strategy for church health and church growth. We don't need some flashy program or some the next gimmick. We need this Jesus. We need this Jesus that John has laid out for us in the first, very first chapter of his book. We need this Jesus who is the creator God, who comes in the flesh in order to heal us and restore us. Because you see, this Jesus, not programs, not strategy, I'm not saying those things aren't important, they won't sustain us. 
This Jesus will sustain us. This Jesus will bring us life. You see, hundreds of people were in in, uh, New York City walking through Central Park, and they were in the presence of greatness as they passed Banksy's art booth. And they totally missed it. Every week, by the grace of God, John will put before us the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my hope for all of us, myself included, is that we wouldn't miss Him, but that we would embrace Him and we would be changed. Let's pray. Gracious God, it's really astounding to even say But thank you that though you were God, you didn't stay in heaven looking down on us, but you came down in order to rescue us and you put on flesh. Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning uh, that do not know you, I pray that you would give them faith, give them eyes to see. I pray for those that are here that have been to church as long as they can remember. I pray that you would be more beautiful to them and that we would be moved to obedience and to love and to service. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.